to the astounding, the unbelievable, the fantastic Texing, your weekly tech podcast, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hey, Justin, how's it going? Hey, how you doing? Yeah, it's episode 23. 23. Never ends. Can't believe it. It does. So, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, you, you just forwarded me this, uh, this nice tweet uh, from, uh, what was it, uh, uh, Phrasemex? Yeah. He says, I'm finding TechZing more and more useful as the show progresses. The updates on Tweetmire are a great motivator. That was cool. Yeah, that is good because we were sort of wondering if it wasn't, if it was a little self-indulgent. But I suppose uh, on one hand, it is self-indulgent. But on the other hand, basically, it's what other people want to do, right? I mean, you know, start a business. Yeah. Well, you know, our whole, you know, our our central theme is sort of the, the, the nexus of, of technology of writing code and uh and startups and maybe in particular bootstrapping so you know i i think the fact that we're talking about tweet miner which is exactly that you know you you built something from the ground up you know you wrote a bunch of code and uh, you're creating a business out of it so it's sort of like stack overflow that's yeah they, yeah exactly do. yeah i guess so i guess so yeah yeah I mean, that's they, there. There's this, the Stack Overflow is sort of centered around the Stack Overflow in particular. Ours is be centered on Tweetminer, and then of course my project once it's becomes you know, and once it's launched. But you know, we also talk about other stuff. I think, uh, but I, 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 you know, Stack Overflow was my favorite, or you know, is my favorite um, podcast to listen to. So that's that's you know, sort of a, a I don't know, an inspiration for this show. I yeah, think, with Stack Overflow. Yeah. Um, but so Aaron Knight was the guy at Phrase it, Phrase Mix. So thanks for the tweet, Aaron. I appreciate it. It's nice to actually hear, you know, get some positive feedback like that. Um, you know, it's funny. Do you, you know, we get these. Uh, our our blog is I hosted as a uh, what's that, WordPress blog. Yeah. Do you get these spam? I get these spam email. I email me. I emails from the WordPress blog that we've got spam comments. Like oh, five, so six, many. seven times a day. You get them too? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but but I've just got my my sort of Google filter set to just, you know, immediately trash it. So so basically, you're 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 waiting for me to spam. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I'm just... wondering like why am I am I the only one getting these? <laughs> no, it's just I mean I basically then I just get the actual comments. So uh, you get the actual comments, but I get everything. So I'm the one in charge of cleaning up the spam. Is that what you're saying? I see. I see because where you you're coming from. You have to say spam it, right? Uh, well, what I what I my theory is is just log in like you know once a week and or once every couple of days and see what the comments are. Uh, that's fine. Maybe I'll just do the same thing because I'm just like this is ridiculous. I'm like constantly getting erupted with these, you know, texting spam comments. It's just annoying. There's so many you know, you Russian like, ones. Yeah, I don't even know where they're from, but they're just ridiculous. Well, anyway, um, <laughs> uh. Oh yeah, who cares? It's not that interesting. So let's, uh, yeah, I, I like to start off again. Let's do the 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 tweet miner update. So you sent me an email w- uh, of a page with the latest stats a couple of days ago. Yeah, text it. Uh, sorry, um, tweetminer.net forward slash stats, and um, basically I've got the actual revenue on there now as well. That was unbelievable because you talk about radical transparency. I mean, you show everything. Is Every that, last thing I was like looking at, you know. Is it too much? I don't know. I mean, I, I part of me thinks that, I mean, it's it's a little shocking, you know, or you're like, holy smoke. I mean, it's one thing to kind of talk about the numbers generally. It's another thing to say here are is everything. 
But in another sense, that makes it particularly interesting. You know, you're 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 like you know raising the stakes. You're like, hey, hey, I'm not just gonna, you know, blog every once in a while about how we're doing. I will I will actually post every detail of how of how many transactions we've had, how many paying customers, what our revenue is. It's really cool. Well, it's, I mean, that's I would of, have loved I would have loved to have seen something like this. I mean, because basically, it's it's you know, there's someone doing it, and it kind of proves that it can be done and it proves that it's kind of difficult, but it's possible and you can have a, a slow, gradual build. So that was my that, thought behind it. Yeah. Yeah, instead of radically transparent, I almost call it as like ridiculously transparent, <laughs> revolutionarily <laughs> transparent. I mean, it's just, I was just it's amazing. Uh, but, you know, I applaud your your sort of transparency, your willingness to be open. I mean, most people, obviously, couldn't do this. I'd always thought that... Even one thing that would be great would be like in a company would be for everyone to be this transparent about what they earn because you, you know what happens like and i've seen this time and time again people come into a company and they you know they're really good in an interview or whatever and they negotiate a good wage or whatever and then they're coming in and they're working alongside someone else who's just as good as them but these other guys are on 10 grand more and it's like why you know if it, if the company's completely transparent and and we have like a, a leaderboard of what everyone's earning right from the CEO down to the person who's cleaning the toilets. You know, that would sort of make for an interesting culture because no one would feel that there wouldn't be so much kind of secrecy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, what do you think? Do you think that would know, be outrageous? I know that Spolsky uh, talked about that, you know, at least, in at least one article. He made some interesting points about it. I, I mean, I think you have to be careful with it because – Let's say you have a handful of people who are all relatively the same skill level. You know, maybe a couple of people have been there a little bit longer. Maybe a couple of people have certain skills or attributes that the company values more, you know, yeah. where the, the actual individuals themselves might not agree with that. And so then you have this problem because everyone thinks that they deserve more. Well, he, you know, this guy's making, you know, 100 or 120 and I deserve to make that because I know – you know, this programming language better than him, or he asked me, he's always that coming from help or, or whatever. And well, you they just sh- have this constant. They shouldn't work there then. Process. They should, like, basically, obviously, they would go into the company knowing that. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's, I, um, I would think that it's human nature that even people knowing that would come and say, you know, just so you know, everybody's going to know everyone, everything about how much you make. And you're going to know everything about what, how much other people make um and people say okay that's cool and they get in they find out they're making 30 grand less than these other people that after a few months they discover they that or at least they start to believe that they're more qualified or more productive then then you got a problem well the thing is the other thing is that the other thing is that as the as the um as the employer i would think now okay first of all let me say i've never had to i've never really had employees so I never had to worry about this. So, uh, for whatever that's worth. But I would imagine, as employer, you're not interested in paying everyone the absolute max that you would have to pay them. So what would end up happening is you'd probably have to pay everyone the same, and which would be the most. I don't think so. Let Let me go a step further. Let me say that as well as having open open salary, what people have within this company is a peer review system. So basically, uh-huh. everyone's involved in determining what each other's salary is within their department. And, um, right. but also that, you know, they're also aware of the, of the numbers of the company. 
they're also aware of the profit of the company, the loss of the company, where the company's going. So everyone's involved in sort of defining what the company spend is versus, you know, how. Uh, oh God, I said you know again. <laughs> everyone's involved in the company spend. Yeah, no, I said I said you know about five thousand times last episode. I got the you know disease. I oh, was just God. wincing. When I was listening, it, I was like, my God. <laughs> um, so if it's out. all transparent, if the company figures are transparent, if what everyone's earning is transparent, if everyone's involved, obviously you wouldn't want, if it's like a thousand people in the company, you wouldn't want a thousand people deciding what each other's wages are. But you could split it up by group. Certainly in a startup, it would work. You know, something up to the size of 20 people. I wonder. I mean, it's an interesting idea. I just think that humans, by nature, are competitive, and 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 especially when it comes down to money, money really changes how things. And I know there's been a lot of studies that said that you know, you, a person's happiness is largely, at least their their contentment with how much they they earn, how, okay, how much but, wealth they have. But it's look all, at this. It's all relative to people around them, right? So like, if you if if you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year, right? And the most people are, and you happen to know the people around you are making a little bit less. You know, guys making eighty-five, some other people making seventy. You're like, yeah, man, I'm kicking butt, right? And then it turns out you find out the couple of people around you are making two hundred. All of a sudden, you become very dissatisfied. Well, exactly, but that's because you would all of a sudden find that out. But if you were in a company that already did that the whole way through, and you sort of put yourself in, I mean, you you wouldn't feel the same way. The other thing is, you say there, people are competitive, right? which is true, and they want to earn more money. So what it means in an open culture like that is that people would basically have to be better to more people. You know, they would have to make a point of working really well with more people because they would know that by interacting with everyone in a good way, by being helpful, all those things, they'd be more likely, regarding the peer review, to get a raise. Don't you think you'd, 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 ent you'd sort of enter into a game theory, game theoretic sort of, framework where it's like okay you had five people and let's say you become kind of buddies with two of them you're like all right man look you give me good rating i'll give you rating let's this guy we think he's a we think he's a jerk <laughs> even though he's pretty good at whatever let's just not give him very good reviews and then we'll get a bigger slice of the pie as a group i think that you think that, things like that would happen i think things like that would happen but if it was a if it was a small enough company i mean even a company within you know within 50 people 100 people or whatever the the main management the main, the main board, the top four or five guys, could could you know make a point of weeding that kind of stuff out. I mean, I think that would be an issue I, in a larger company, not in a smaller company. That's my opinion. I don't know. I think those. I, I I like the I like the sentiment. You know, I think it's a nice sentiment. I'm not sure that it would really work. I think humans are more are more envious and jealous and competitive and petty than than we than, than we wish they were. Uh, but and those things just happen, you know. Well, maybe over it's time. good. I mean, oh. maybe it would help to weed out the, you know, the bad people. So because yeah, everything. Then, so then, as, a, as an employer, you have to spend all this time. Situations that arise that would not have arisen had you not had been transparent. You work more like a traditional company, which is like, look, this is all sort of confidential, and you're not really. It's, yeah, and everything's more confidential. Then you don't have to deal with these situations. But now these situations of uh, that we're, we just described start arising because you're open. Now you spend all this time hiring and firing and dealing with these petty. Political Sorry, describe. Problems. I mean, I mean, I've never worked in a company that didn't have incredibly similar situations to what you're talking about. Basically, people being petty, talking behind each other's backs, people not feeling valued, people wanting you know raises, 
I mean, I don't know how that's different in a company where it's not transparent. <laughs> it's just yeah, the I don't same. know. You know, look, I, I've never really worked at a company. I've never really had a job. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm speaking from ignorance here. Okay. You know, it it's like uh, I worked. I took a job right after graduating college. I worked for nine months doing research and development for uh, sort of developing mathematical models for like this uh, derivatives trading company. And then I, you know, then I then I started my first company. Right. And I, I built a pro prototype and got some funding. So and that was in 1993. So I've never really had a job. So I don't know that I don't know how that stuff works. Well, I mean, I understand how people work. So from, from what I I've seen, put that out. From what I've seen, gossip is a huge part of corporate culture. It's phenomenally huge. And where gossip comes from is for people not knowing. People not knowing what their managers are doing. People not knowing what other people are paid. Like and it's and, and jealousy and you know, sort of fear about what's what the other person is and what they're doing. And that But do you think the jealousy it has to do the pettiness have to do with not knowing, or it's just have to do with the fact that you don't agree with the status quo. People have things that you think you should have, well, or they some, have things you well, think you should have. Something that people hate, right, is they hate sitting in their cubicle, and then there's there's a meeting uh, a meeting room where two or three managers go in, and they're basically determining things behind closed doors. And you see you see these managers go in there every day, having meetings, determining the direction of, of what you're doing. And then, you know, they come out, and all of a sudden you get an email saying, okay, the company's going this way, the company's going that way. And it's totally untransparent, and it's all behind closed doors. I mean, it's not a very safe feeling. Right. Yeah. I don't know. You, you know, it reminds me of, uh, <laughs> just to change the subject a little bit. Um, sure. We were talking about local bacon. I was talking, Joe had some ideas for local bacon. One of the things that, which is the other project that I've worked on recently, in case yeah. people are new to the podcast. And so I, you know, I built the first version of the site for Joe, um, in exchange for, uh, for equity. And Joe had this idea uh, for feedback and he kept saying, you know, I think feedback's a big part of the local bacon experience and that, that of, of the value offering. And why would you, why would you pay to apply for jobs? It's not just, um, you know, one of the, one of the benefits is that employ employers are required to supply feedback for each application, for each applicant. And I was like, you know, I don't know that's a big deal. I don't know. I, I just like, I personally wouldn't care, you know, either hire me or don't hire me. You know, <laughs> I don't care what you think. Or I, and, um, I was talking this over with Sandy and she was like, she's like, well, like, you know, anything about that? I mean, when was the last time you applied for a job? <laughs> yeah. It's like, never. She's like, precisely. So you have no idea whether that's something that people would want. She's like, She's like, it's a terrible feeling applying for all these jobs and, and never hearing back from any of them. She says, it's terrible. It's, it would be so much nicer if you just heard back, even a very short one sentence, we didn't hire because you didn't Absolutely. have qualification. Absolutely. No, completely. That. It's, re it's so that's really just, valuable. <laughs> so that's just another example of like having not really worked for a company or for any length of time and having not or had a job or applied for a job. That means that I don't necessarily have the same perspective on things I think a lot of people have. So, uh, yeah, so I'll, so I'll, I will, I will put the same disclaimer on our whole discussion about, you know, transparency within a company in terms of salaries I do between applying for, about applying for jobs. Like I just don't know. Um, Interesting. but, uh, in terms, let's, let's get back to the specifics of tweet miner though. Okay. Because well, we're, yeah, cool. neither of us are in a situation where we're hiring people. So that's not really applicable yeah. for us for okay. quite a while. 
Um, we can talk about it. We can, uh, you know, address this again in maybe 18 months. <laughs> okay, I've got some interesting um, specific figures and thought, uh, thought patterns okay. going on about TweetMiner um, from, from this okay. week to the last week. Okay, so the, the, um, it's about sort of current projections because I've got enough users where I, I think I can make some, well, I can make some pretty accurate projections actually based on what's happened so far. So okay. um, if we consider the fact that TweetMiner now has uh, 1,726 registered users. Are you okay? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 1,726 registered users. And if the revenue through the door at this point is um, $1,185. But when you actually project it out through the year, by the end of the year, it, you know, assuming that those people, everyone stays with the site, you know, with the site, um, the total revenue that TweetMiner will make from 1,726 registered users should be $4,760 by the end of the year. Which, when okay. you think about it, means that for every user who signs up, it essentially has a value. That person has a value of two dollars seventy-five. The tweet miner. Okay, seventy-five cents. Okay. Yeah, two per That's year. That's an interesting way of looking at. Per year, right? right? So, mm -hmm. because you know, you know, they talk about Facebook. You know, how much value does a user have in Facebook? You know, right. like that's the way they come up with valuations. Well, interestingly, with tweet miner, you really can place an exact valuation on those people. But that is actually just the beginning, because if you think about it. You know, I'm still working on conversion ratios, so we're at 2.6% now, but I'm sure it could be taken up to 5% if if dealt with better. Um, Cal, that would be impressive if you could do that. I mean, 2.6% is already impressive, I, okay. at least based on the numbers that I'm familiar with hearing about. I, mean, I, I think we referred to this three or four episodes back where there was a, um, some information that was given in, a, in a, uh, a talk at South by Southwest by Wufu and I think Blink Sale and a few others, and they, they were in the 1% to 1.6% conversion ratio. The okay, so I'll bring it down to 3%. I bet you I could get it up to 3%. Let's just, just leave it well, at that. Well, that's fair. Right? I'm not saying you can. I'm just yeah. saying you know, the fact you already got 2.6 is fantastic. But you might because you haven't done hardly any baby testing. You haven't done any. No, I, have, right? I haven't really. So, But then the point is, is that beyond that, there is an audience to market to, to sell, to upsell and to cross-sell stuff to. So, okay. you know, stuff that's very, very relevant to them, not stuff that they would consider spam or, or annoying or anything like that. But for example, maybe a well-placed badge within TweetMiner that was, you know, for an affiliate product that was just incredibly aligned with um, the people who use TweetMiner. So for example, if you think about it, a lot of the people right. who use TweetMiner are virtual assistants, right? So there may be a, another affiliate product out there that is very relevant to virtual admins, such as, I don't know, bookkeeping software or something like that. Sure. And, you know, th that can be sold. So you would have thought that you can make, you know, some pretty decent revenue from those kind of right. cross sales. Right. Which, if you think about it, it's not that difficult to take the, take the value of each sign up to maybe $5. Well, so one thing is that if they're a paid account that they don't see it or if they don't want to, but if you're free, then they, they see the ads. Sure. That kind of stuff. Yep. You know, so that you get some kind of value but out of the non-paying customers. I mean, the hope would be that the, the hope would be that the ads, the, the the products that you promoted, were actually so useful and relevant for them that they wouldn't see it as um, anything other than just good. It's a lot more like a helpful hint. Right. Right. 
Um, well, I guess you'll just have to, uh, I mean, that, part of it is finding products that you think are actually um, applicable, you know? It doesn't necessarily, I mean, you, 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 say, you, you say that, you know, the, their ads would be so, or the products would be so relevant to them that they wouldn't find them annoying. Well, how many of those are there? Yeah, I mean, it obviously that would be a, you know, a certain part of the the skill <laughs> to try and work out what they this. were. I mean, yeah. but if you look at well, it, well, let's, let's 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 okay. So aside from the ad thing, though, let's just talk. I just um, unless there's something else you want to say about it, I want to uh, talk a little more about your growth, uh, revenue growth on okay. your paying customers. Yeah, you sure. Talk about that. Yeah. So you're so you're saying you hit almost five grand after a year of revenue. With 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 if I didn't get another user, that's what it should stick at. Yeah. Just now is that the is that net or gross? Is that after PayPal and affiliate or before? That would be um, gross. Gross. So you're probably four thousand. Yeah, I think that would be fair enough to say. Yeah. So that's getting close to what you were really aiming at, aiming for when you started this. Five thousand dollars a year. I mean, a month. Five thousand dollars a year. Um, Five thousand dollars of revenue a month. Yes. Would be, or at least of income, to the point where it would be really worth it for you. That you can almost start replacing a good fraction of your, a reasonable fraction of your uh, consulting income. Yep. That's fantastic. One year. Six, eight, three times. So what it means actually is that with 20,000 users, mm -hmm. because there's 1,683 right now, with 20,000, I will basically be close to the revenue. To be honest, with 30, I'm pretty sure with 30,000 users, I would have a net profit of 100,000. And when, how long would it take to get to, to that level? Well, it's taken two months to get to 2,000. So if, you know, if the right um, marketing was done, um, I think it would be feasible to get to 30,000 within six to nine months. Really? I think so. That's amazing. That's amazing, actually. Uh, well, it's funny because thinking about TweetMiter when you started it out, I mean, it was really just sort of like this experiment. I mean, you wanted something, you wanted to create something that would make revenue for you, right? It wasn't just totally a, hey, I'm just going to build something cool for myself. Yeah. But the fact that it could actually replace your consulting entirely in a year or less is, is remarkable. Well, I, I could take it a step further than that because... If you actually think about it, TweetMiner has the potential. <laughs> I mean, it really does have the potential to be a bigger business than this. Because sure. if you think about Hootsuite and CoTweet, obviously, the, you know, the business model they're going after. I mean, TweetMiner doesn't just have to deal with Twitter. I mean, it could, you know, it could deal with Facebook. It could deal, it could be your social hub. Um, I mean, essentially, TweetMiner could be a, a multi-million dollar business. When you think about it, because, you know, the market isn't only limited to 30,000 users. I mean, the market could go up to, you know, hundreds of thousands of users for a product like Tweetminer. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, especially when, that, I mean, that's, that's why the rule of thumb of how to do a bootstrap, a bootstrap a startup is get something out there and start charging early. Because once you get real data on what people will pay for, that they, that they things that they truly value, then you can actually start adapting your service and figuring out how it needs to be improved or extended and to increase its in, increase your growth. And uh, I don't know. That's one of the reasons I like bootstrapping so much better than the, the funded approach. Well, I can see and why. It, sorry, you go. 
Well, it's just, you know, you have this other project of yours that is a much sort of grander concept in a way yeah. that you're trying to raise money for and they have partners and all this kind of stuff. But TweetMiner has such an advantage over that in the fact that you're able to get something up and out there and get feedback and, and get revenue from right away. Such an advantage in my book. It's very interesting because it makes me understand investors' perspective. Like the, there's a – from a lot of the investors that we're talking to, there's a real mindset of show me some customers, show me some revenue, show me some, show me some traction because I want to take that risk out of the equation. Yeah. <clears throat> and, I, and you can see with something like TweetMiner, I mean at the end of the day, yeah, I mean it's, it's a proven concept now. All it needs is scaling. You know, so right. if if someone was to come al come along and invest X amount of money, you know, you, you just basically scale it, and it can be scaled into a million dollar business. It's just scaling. Or more, or, or or you work it for six more months, and you get you grow it even more. So you show. I mean, the 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 more you grow it, the more that that growth trend becomes obvious. Yeah. Right. I mean, if if you if you have a growth, like oh, we've been growing for five weeks. <laughs> that. Yeah. Even if it's even if it's real money, it's it's going to be less convincing than if you say we've we've been growing at this rate for six months. We pick up X amount of users per per week or per month, and this is our average growth, and this is a standard deviation on that growth. And it it becomes harder and harder to argue against that trend that it's not believable. Where is if you go and approach an investor and say, okay, here's six weeks of growth, and be like, yeah, six weeks. That's kind of you know who knows if that's really what the growth trend. It might get flattened out. You know, next week. It's the same thing like when investors look at, say, like, um, you know, these sort of mutual funds or hedge funds and stuff. So if you want to start like an investment fund, let's say you're a money manager and you wanted to raise a bunch of money from people. Yeah. A lot of times uh, these, um, and I used to be in this sort of trading world, or like I still kind of have one foot in it. And if you start a hedge fund, and let's say you go and raise a million dollars to put in this hedge fund from people you know, and then you want to go and raise another. 50 or 100 million over the next few years because you have this great investment strategy. Well, most investors and most serious investment funds won't put money into your fund until you've at least had four years of track record. Huh. Because you just don't know. I mean, like, I mean, was it a fluke? Were you just lucky? Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a whole bunch of, there's a variety of market conditions that need to happen and see, and, and I think investors want to see how you, how your fund or how your strategy works in these changing market conditions. It's like, yeah, okay, so the market's gone straight up for the last, you know, year and you made money this year. So what? So what happens next year when it goes flat or volatility goes down or goes up or market goes down? Anyway, and I think a similar thing could be said about, you know, a, 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 a startup venture, which is like, you know, you need some kind of a track record. So even if you, even if you said, all right, Jason, I can raise, I can make X amount of money and I was going to invest. Say you were approaching me as an investor, <laughs> assuming I had money to invest. <laughs> <laughs> and this is <laughs> we're just in pretend world here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would be I would be less um, convinced if, if for for five weeks, even if than if six months, because then you're getting a stronger and a stronger position. You can argue better and better terms. Yeah. Because you're moving risk. And for you, whether you raise money now or you raise money in six months, might not make that much difference. And yeah. six months goes by in a flash. And you might be get way better terms well, I, and raise. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not thinking about that. I mean, I'm not thinking about going out and turning Tweet Miner into a big business where I go and raise money for. I mean, I'm actually more interested in the bootstrap thing. Um, but it, I'm just I'm just pointing out that it could be, you know, if I wanted to. 
yeah however having but said i think it's worth i think i think it's a, you know it's something you're worth thinking about you know it's always worth thinking about i mean you may you may never decide never to take money you may always want to keep it as a small you know one one man show or you may just hire two or three people yourself or you may hire people and never take money and you could end up having 10 people working for you within three or four years and have never raised any money and but it's always probably worth thinking about and doing that calculation say okay well if i went and i raised half a million or a million dollars and i could do x amount i could spend this amount of money in, in advertising and marketing and i could grow this much faster would it be worth it or not However, probably always worth doing calculation having said that i should tell you that i got a call from a swedish company <laughs> oh did you a, a, quite a large swedish company who said that they absolutely love tweetminer and what's been done with it and that they want to talk about partnering or investing. <laughs> and I've got That's a fantastic. I've got a call with them uh, this this weekend. So I don't, I don't know what that means. I have got no idea. I mean, they may turn around and say, "Yeah, we want to invest like five thousand dollars to help you market it or something." Who knows? But um, right, you know, I don't. So well, I don't that's- know. that's a that's fantastic. I mean, you talk about <laughs> a a sort of a, a vote of confidence when when people when investors contact you and want to invest in your product. Or your your company, there especially. A, how long have you, you started this? And when when was it you started building Tweetminer? I suppose about three months ago now, maybe two and a half. There there, there no. actually was there there's there was two calls like that that I've had within the last week. To be honest. Well, that's that's fantastic. I I, I think it, I think that might also be have to do with the fact that you're being transparent about it. I mean, maybe did they? Did, did the company, I don't know. Did they, no, they didn't mention this it. To a podcast. I don't know. They didn't. Huh. They didn't. They didn't mention it yet. I mean, it's still early days talking to them. But I think one thing that it really proves is, you know, put yourself out there. You know. Right. Well, you know, the fact that you're there's so many good things about this. The fact that you solved your own problem, you built something quickly, you got it out there quickly, you went through a, a, a fairly rapid um, a beta cycle, then you started charging, and then you were upfront about or the transparent about what you're revenue is i think all these things are working into your advantage i wasn't even going to charge you're... until until you badgered me on the podcast yeah <laughs> I, was, like, <laughs> I was just bumbling like, along like <laughs> yeah i did it's funny well i was i was really berating you wasn't i there a couple episodes there yeah. i was just giving you a hard time like, just do it just do it what's like you're standing at the high dive and your buddy's at the bottom going dude just jump off you're at the high dive jump you're like well i don't want to jump off <laughs> like Jump off the high dive I into mean, it's the water. A, it's the same thing for the transparency no, because it'll be over in a second. It's Put the that. same thing for the transparency because I remember you were kind of, you know, going, "Oh, come on, you should be fully transparent." So that's why I did the transparency <laughs> as well. <laughs> and it was pretty scary. <laughs> I have to tell you, <laughs> it's pretty scary. <laughs> what the hell? It's like, what the hell do I know? You know, I'm just like, well, thing is, it's like I don't have the fears because it's not my company, so I can just say things that are risky. That seem risky because there's no risk to me. It just seems like it would work. What? So what, you know, you're chart. just like the puppet master, and I'm the idiot doing everything you say. <laughs> no, I'm I'm just I'm I'm just saying the same things that you want to do, but that I don't have any fear. So if I if 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 you removed all of your own fear, you'd be probably you would do them. But we all have that hesitancy. We don't want to release it because we're not happy with it. We don't want to be criticized. We don't want to charge for it because we're afraid nobody's going to pay for it. We don't want to tell you know, anyone how well we're doing just in case people are going to steal the idea or clone it or something. And all those things are sort of irrational fears are not, are not, or rather the fears are not 
I can't believe that the reality people... is not worth not doing it. I, I actually can't believe that it's not going to be cloned right now. I mean, how can it not be cloned? Well, because we're showing that revenue. Because it, take, because it takes a lot of work to clone something. It, it's always harder to build stuff than people think. And you're still, even if you're making $1,000 a month, I mean, that's a joke compared to most of the businesses out there that have a product that wouldn't be that much harder to clone. I guess. You know? I mean, if I, if I was thinking of things I wanted to go and compete against, you know, TweetMiner would not be high on my list because I can think of things that, are, that have proven to be much larger markets and um, probably be more easily cloned. Hmm. So in the, in the end of the day, the people who are going to clone – Jackasses who just go out there and just copy other people's stuff. The reason they do that, and they're not very, they're not very common anyway. It's more of a fear than it is a reality. I mean, it's kind of like terrorist attacks. Everyone talks about being fear of terrorist attacks, but they almost never ever happen. At least in the United States, yeah. You know, we're like you're more likely hit by lightning twice, probably than you know than a hit by a terrorist attack. And the same thing is like, why don't we get my clone? It's like how many different time, how, how many clone web services are out there? Not oh, very many. Well, I mean, China clones a lot. They do they clone Web two O services? Yeah, yeah, completely. Do they? But they're probably Chinese. They're not American. They're not English based. Yeah, but it's still a market that I may want like, to move into one day. Chinese market anytime in the next year, <laughs> couple of years. Well, no. actually, I mean, I do think that like um, translating it and localizing it into you know French, English, Spanish, German. Um, I think that that will probably be a pretty fast way to increase revenue as well. Yeah, yeah, but not Chinese. You know, yeah, that may be a bit too much to talk. Bad. Just dealing with the character. Sets. I don't know. I think the whole. I yeah, exactly. It sounds way too hard. I I think that the whole um, cloning fear is not a valid fear. I think that if you're continuing to innovate and do a great job and listen to your customers. I think you're going to be fine. Well, it sure as hell has happened I, to Balsamic Mockups a lot. I mean, they have, you know, um, Balsamic Mockups has probably around 10 clones now. He started a whole, you know, industry. But Oh, really? But the thing is, he's still making way more money than anyone else. So I, I, he is, from, from his perspective, it just validates him as, as the leader, I think. That's my guess. I've heard that too. I think that's an interesting concept. So if, if you have clones and all those clones are doing is bringing attention to the leader and most people who are going to pay are just going to want the, the leader anyway. Yeah. Right. Because everybody's going to mention, oh, yeah, it's, it's this service is just like Service X, except it's a little cheaper. People are like, well, well let's go look at like Service X. So that's a little slicker. That's the real one. <laughs> I'll pay a few bucks more for that. Yeah. I would think. I just think. I mean, I okay. I would think worrying about clones. Maybe it's maybe it is a valid fear, but I think I think in the end of the day, just like Peldy's example, it's probably not going to hurt you that much, and the gains you get from being transparent and open are probably outweigh those. It may be a marketing and, issue. It may be something where you need to sort of cement your leadership through PR and marketing, and um, you know, just sort of show that you're going to really work with your customers, that you're going to be really great at support, that you really care about the product, you know, show all that stuff, and then maybe that's what it is that cements it. The lead, I think so. Market lead. I think so. Well, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm psyched for you. I, I, I love the story. It's, it's awesome that you've grown this quickly. So wait, how many paying customers do you have now? Because that's one thing we talk about. Each, we talk about each Oh, 44. Six to nine to, 
44. It, it was Six? 40. It was 43 at the beginning of this conversation, but another one just popped in. <laughs> so you went, it was like, I think if it went like six, nine, 12, 28, 40, 44. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know the exact growth, but uh, something like that I remember. But that's amazing that uh, it's growing that quickly. And uh, I had a quick, a yeah, quick, here's, here's an interesting thing. So this, but a quick chat with Eric Woodward um, via Skype, and um, he was saying, Eric Wood, no, okay. So Eric Woodwood was is the guy who created Trim. A Trim, yeah, right. And, and also Nambu. Which is like the URL serving service. Nambu Twitter Nambu. client. And um, Nambu he, Twitter. he sort of made a valid point, which is that you know what what we're talking about every show is about tweet miner and trying to bring up the conversion ratios and all that sort of stuff to you know to to make more money. And he says, well, you know, why don't you just make the product better? <laughs> <laughs> which, which, in all fairness, I do do. It's just that I don't mention that part of it. So I just wanted to sort of say to the listeners, it's not that I'm only focused on, you know, conversion ratios and messaging and all that stuff. Like I, I'm very much focused on um, developing and adding new products for TweetMiner, you know, very regularly because I can't help it because of the get satisfaction. People are just, you know, firing off all these requests. Um, but what we talk about on this show is mainly about the business aspect. Yeah, yeah, and maybe that's because um, the the individual features are a little. That's a little inside baseball, you know. It's a, we we could talk some about it, but we can't. Exactly. It, otherwise, it becomes the tweet miner show. Exactly. You know, um, I mean, it already is. We're talking a lot about it, but we're trying to sort of talk in the general about what we're what applies to tweet miner in terms of bootstrapping and growing revenue and how much time it takes you and all these things. Can I can you I know, call you back any- because the quality's gone? Okay. Hey, that's better. I, I hate it when it loses quality like that. Do you remember at the end of last show it did the same thing? Yeah, it was it last show or show before it got bad. Yeah, show before, and it's just like a phone. It's like a phone. So you sound like you're on a phone rather than Skype. Right. So, um, uh, you know, there was a couple of things that are interesting. So, yeah. So you spend. Eric says, look, don't worry about conversion. Just worry about building a great product. And I think that's a good point. I mean, obviously, ninety percent of your time should be go about making the product better. And then, and then it speaks for itself. And then maybe ten or fifteen percent of your time is spent, you know, thinking about how to how to change your front page or how to how to change your messaging so that you. I've got an argument conversion. against that. An argument against what? The what you just said, because okay, his, and here it is, like Jason Cohen, who uses TweetMiner every day, and uh-huh. basically sent me an email saying, okay. Now TweetMiner does, it has all of the features that I need, it has everything that I need, and I'm coming in as a free user, and I don't need to upgrade, because you've just given me everything, and there's no reason for me to upgrade. (laughs) So basically, what I've been doing is, you know, according to that, actually, I've been spending too much time making the product good, and not enough time thinking about how to convert people into paying customers. Or how to segment your users, how to segment your features. You've not segmented them right. Yeah, and that's something you need to tweak. And it, it's probably better. It's probably important that you think about that earlier and get that s- s- figured out earlier on, than you do it later. Because the, the 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 more time that goes by where people get used to having a free product and they say, okay, guess what, kids, now you get using these features and should pay me, then people get upset. You know, taking away something that people have is something that makes people upset. So yeah, I, but yeah, he's so he's got a good point. I mean, the, I, I mean, think you're, the not, main, you're not you're not you're not. Well, you're not making a great product just just for the sole purpose of of the satisfaction of a great product. You're making it 
for the purpose of making a great product and also for making a business out of it so that you don't have to do consulting or anything else. That's right. So, so what it is with him is, about. you know, he gets – he the limit I've, I've imposed is 10 uh, scheduled messages a day, right? So that's enough for him yeah. to do. And, you know, in fact – That's a lot of messages. That's kind of enough for me <laughs> as well. So what I was thinking was – but, you know, because I've got the other limits right. The, the other limits are all good. But this this schedule message limit isn't quite right. But then again, I don't want to sort of say, oh, only limit it to five a day because that seems so low. So what I was thinking I of doing think so. was taking a different approach, which was saying 50 a month. So you can, you know, if you want to really try it out, you can blam out 50 in like a few days. But the point now, is... No, that's a good idea. That's actually better. That's good. That's a really good idea because... Because a lot of people will probably, they'll, if they go, even if their like, rate is more like five or seven or eight a day, mm. after a few days a week, they're going to be like, oh, I love this. Damn, I got to like, nah, you know, I ran out of my, hit the limit. Yeah, exactly. I so, think that's, that's actually a very good way to do it, I think. So that's, that's you let them use thought. it. You let them use it like a power user for a while, and then they realize, oh, I don't actually have this much every day of the month. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. I think that's a good one. That's so a good idea. That'll be that'll be my next uh, business case tweak. <laughs> so I think you gotta. I, I I think I think they both have points. Points. I mean, Jason Cohen and Eric. Um, what's Eric's last name? Eric Wood, Eric Woodward. Eric Woodward are both very smart guys, yeah. and they both have learned how to build businesses, and they know how to write software, and they're thoughtful people, so they have good points. And I think the lesson is that you just have to reevaluate you know, the technology as well as the, the business constantly. Yeah. You know, and some days, some days or some weeks, you'll spend a lot more time writing code and make adding features and making things better. And some weeks you'll spend more time doing the business side, but because you're a one man show, you're just going to have to do it all. And I, I think it's important that you get, you think about it all because it's easy to fall into in one of the, uh, of the other side where all you do is write code and you never really make it into business. And I've definitely fallen into that trap. And there's the other side where all you're doing is like, oh, I'm gonna, this is how we're going to make money and convert people. But you don't even have anything. Yeah. <laughs> Just like an internet marketer, you don't do anything really. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, uh, oh, so I'd like to, I'd like to segue into something, a, a kind of a related issue, which is the idea of, um, the idea of do, just doing something, right? The fact is the reason that this, all this exists is that you did something. The, the, the fact that um, you know Jason Cohen and Eric Woodward and have interesting conversations with them and have learned stuff from them is a fact is, is partially uh, to do with uh, TweetMiner and it's partially to do with the fact that we do texting, yeah. right? We've invited my guests and we met them and, 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 and we, we spent the time creating this podcast. So it's actually doing stuff has been a really important reason for why you're enjoying yourself with all this stuff yeah, yeah now completely. um if you just sat back and wrote a blog about tech and startups you didn't actually do anything you just blogged about it right i mean what would you really where, where would you be and i i, I just kind of wondering like because oftentimes i said i have ideas for blog i, I can tell you where i'd be i'd where? be I'd, I'd own stack overflow you'd own stack overflow yeah that's what happens when you blog about tech just look, that you know, he's the guy who came up with the coding horror blog, and now look where he is. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I think no. I think the fact that they create Stack Overflow is why they have Stack Overflow. The way they were able to build a user base is because they spent time building up a, an audience before then. But I think it's probably not a bad idea to create a a, a presence out there in writing. But I just wonder. It's like, 
when you build software, you actually create something that has continuing value. But when you write a blog post, so let's say you spend three hours writing an essay or five hours or whatever it is, as opposed to spending that five hours building a product, people read that essay once and it's done. No, 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 because it's it's available via Google and people come come into it. I mean, the long tail on those um, those things are amazing. A perfect example is Joel uh, Raymond, who you found via an article right. that he'd written like two years ago, and you were really impressed mm-hmm. with it, and you invited him onto the show. No, that's that's a good point. Okay, so I just wonder, there's got to be a balance there because I think there's a lot of there's a, probably a lot of people who, if they weren't if they didn't spend all their time writing blog posts and actually building stuff, they'd be much closer to their goal of actually creating creating something or building a business as opposed to just commenting on it. Um, and you know, but of course, the other side, if all you do is write is write software and you never create a presence and people don't, it's hard to get anyone to to find out about what you're doing. Yeah, but if, you trust you. every industry has critics and it has doers, and you know, the critics like it's always it's always. I guess it's a level of risk for those guys. Like, there's no risk. It's so easy to be a critic, you know, and mm-hmm. it's so hard to do. Um, so I think it's just the, the natural. Well, let's look way. at let's look at Tweetbinder's example, right? We're, what we're saying is that within a year or so, you could almost get the point where you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year. I think so. That. I think yeah, pretty good yeah. shot at it. Yeah. Okay. Let's say if you spend all that time that you spend Tweetbinder just writing blog posts, commenting about startups and you know, code and whatever. I mean, you would probably wouldn't be anywhere close to that. Well, it depends. I mean, for example, if you look at the coding horror blog by Jeff Atwood, I would say it's very possible that he could convert his readership into 100,000 a year. Okay, now that may be true, but Cody Core is one of the most popular blogs, uh, tech blogs on the, in the world, right, on the web. Well, because right. he because he got better and better, you know, he did more and more writing, and so so you're saying a guy is writing a blog for a year, right? And they're getting better and better at writing the blog, and they're learning, they're getting more and more feedback. So, couldn't they, you know, make a make a? I'm they just got wondering that. I'm just wondering whether the value. I mean, 50 hours in writing essays and and, and blog posts, and 50 hours writing code. I just think that writing – I just think it's got to be some sort of a fairly optimal ratio where it's like you need to spend – because I'll, I'll spend a lot of time thinking about this. Like, oh, I have some essays that I'd like to write, but I never do because I'm like, you know what? I just want to I, – I just would rather build something than, than talk about my theories. And I can always just you know, spout off on my crazy theories or opinions when you and I have the podcast, which right, doesn't right. take up much time. And we do an hour a week. It doesn't take any time. Whereas – for me to write a blog post of any of any length will take a lot of time because I've become kind of a perfectionist and I just never finish it. Well, so, it's like, do you, do you want like, to be a writer? I mean, do you want to be a writer or do you want to be a business owner? What do you want? Well, I like to build stuff. I don't. I don't necessarily. I, I guess the reason that I don't write is probably because I don't like it as much. But back back to what, just to finish what we were talking about. It's yeah. just. I, I just. It just seems like there's a lot of people writing stuff and. I'm just wondering if the time they spend writing that stuff wouldn't be better spent actually building stuff <laughs> than writing about it. I see. I see where you're coming from. I mean, there's there's two there's sort of two points to the argument. I mean, one of them is, you know, do they want to be a writer? <laughs> if they want right. to be a writer, then they should be spending their time writing stuff. But the if you're just talking about, you know, 
coders trying to create PR versus doing their product, then I guess that's a different argument. Yeah, I mean, you have to do some of it. I think. I think it's. I think. I think it works against you if you decide. Well, I'm just not going to write anything. I'm just going to write the software. I'm never going to do much of a blog post other than like a three sentence update saying, "Hey, we have got this new feature." I think it probably helps to do that. But there's at some point you overdo it if you're if you're writing four or five, you know, essays a week, <laughs> but you could have spent all that time making the product better. Something that uh, Georgie and myself, Georgie's my wife, we were talking about last night. Um, is just the idea of people who work at stuff that they're not talented at versus right. people who work at stuff they're talented at. And if you, if you are talented at something, you can tell because it's easy. It's easy for you. Right. <laughs> and if you're not talented, it's like it's a real struggle. And I wonder, you know, I think this slightly relates to what you're talking about slightly relates to that. So, you know, maybe some people just find it really easy to write <laughs> versus making software. I personally find it easier to make software than to write, but... You know. I think that's probably true. You know, maybe, maybe, you know, I I find it somewhat painful. I think because I spend so much time editing and going over and over and being a perfectionist, so it becomes this it becomes a really arduous process and time consuming process. It's, it becomes a to do item, whereas writing code, well, writing code can be work, but it's just more fun, I guess, for me. So I, I guess it's easier for me to do it, um, and that's another reason why I would tend to do it than than write blog posts on things. But I guess, anyway, I, one, one, one thing I was thinking about, there, there's a real point to bring it up, is the idea that I felt that if you write software, it has more recurring value, it has more staying power than your blog posts. Even if the blog posts have some like long tail where people come back to it and read it again, it just doesn't seem like it, it doesn't have the same amount of um, ongoing value that Tweetmire has, for instance. I mean, how many times are people going to read uh, a blog post that you wrote? Um, I don't know. I don't think it's a – I mean, uh, like not meaning to be argumentative, but I don't think it's a generalization that you can make because some software – let's say you write a piece of software that is just out of date really quickly and you write a blog post. Like, for example, okay, Paul Graham, a plan for spam. There's a blog mm -hmm. post that is – it will never stop being relevant and interesting. For the, you know, for a hundred years to come, because it's yeah. just really important, uh, and it's it's like a, a milestone in in sort of thinking. Um, but then someone else might write a piece of software that is is the same, like such as I don't know the web browser. Yeah. So, okay. I, I I get it. It's just it's just interesting because I I've been going back in my head on whether I should spend time writing stuff or not, and I keep not doing it, and <laughs> I keep thinking maybe it's just not a best way for me to spend my time. But here's an interesting thing that's sort of related to. Yeah. Um, you talk about like Paul Graham and I'm just, he, you know, he's a coder first, but it seems like what has he done lately? Like what, a lot of these guys who have these, they look like, it's like they're one hit wonders. They write one great piece of software and then they don't really seem to do a whole lot after that. Like even the guy who created Rails, uh, David Hanemeyer Hansen, like, you know, or, or you know, you look at like uh, 37 Signals. They created these products that are relatively simple, but it seems like they could have done those quickly. And what have they done over the last three years? I see. So you're sort of talking about, you know, you you hit your peak early, and then you don't have a second hit. You don't have a third hit. I just wonder. I mean, I'm not I'm not accusing them of anything. I'm just wondering what else have they done. I mean, you you, you look at like Rails, for instance, and Rails is this there's this sort of rapid application development platform that you can build stuff so quickly. Yeah. But 
so they built base camp and Tada and high rise and a couple things and that was all a few years ago or more but you know and i understand you know you tweak it and you make it a little bit better but i mean what are they doing? What well, have they done the last couple of years? They have this rapid application development. What have they done with it the last three or four years? Okay, here's here's a way to think about it. Twitter, right? How long does it take to make to build Twitter? I mean, it takes an afternoon. So what have those guys been doing with 100 million over the last three years? Yeah, what have they been doing? Well, what they've been doing <laughs> is, I'll tell you what they've been doing. I mean, they've been um, scaling the back end so that it can scale out to millions of users, so that it can scale out to millions of API users. They've been cutting deals with TV companies. They've been doing biz dev work. They've been talking, okay, okay. talking to talking Yahoo and Microsoft. What have the development team? What have the engineering team been doing? The, they take the, that much time? They just to... keep they keep on focusing on small tweaks, you know, doing small – I mean, basically tweaking and building and, and – uh, Their day's got to be so easy. Well, okay, look. Here. Come in there. Ah, let's see. I don't know what we want to do this tweak okay. or that one. Let's <laughs> run a few experiments. I don't think so. Ah, I don't think so. Lunch. I mean, think about it's got to be so – Casual. Okay, TweetMiner, Get Satisfaction. I mean, TweetMiner is only three months old, and on Get Satisfaction, it's already got 200 feature requests. Okay? okay. And it's impossible for me to keep up with that. Balsamic has thousands, you know, I think it's got over a thousand feature requests, and it's just a simple <laughs> little program, right? So now think what? about Twitter and think about that user base. I mean, they've got 10 million people using it, <laughs> or 20 million. Well, their answer is always no. <laughs> well, their answers no, but they're talking about it. They're thinking about it. They're working on stuff. They're you know they're refactoring. I mean, I could imagine that that their work is cut out for them behind the scenes. I could imagine that, and it would be the same with the Basecamp people. Like because you know what happens? Like paying customers say this shit isn't working, and you've got to make it work. You know, you're you're firefighting a lot, aren't you? You know. I guess. I mean, the product's so simple, and then they don't really extend it. It feels like they probably would have solved a lot of that stuff early on. And I, I just wonder what they do with their time. So here's the thing. Okay, I don't, I don't mean to pick on 37 signals. Or, <laughs> or, I mean, the guys are obviously smart guys and have a great, successful business. It, it, it kind of reminds. The reason I bring it up is it reminds me of um, the. Uh, I think there was an article I had read about a lot of scientists and mathematicians. They'll have like one great discovery, and then it's just there's just nothing. They don't do anything after that. Yeah. And one of the I think one of the reasons, the thoughts behind why that happens is that when you create something that amazing, then afterwards you try and redo it by creating something amazing. But the reality is that most of these things that were amazing discoveries started out as a, just an interesting small problem they started working on that, that grew into something that was really important. And it's hard after you created this really big grand thing to then go back and start some other small interesting little problem it just seems meaningless compared to what right. you've done but that's how it always starts so if you look at a if you go back and you look at a lot of successful companies and you're like what did they start with and and it's the same thing where they're solving a mathematical problem or a physics problem or, or something like that is, is the same as probably doing a startup you start with some simple little thing that's going to solve your own problem scratch your own itch and then it grows and grows and grows. Is this your theory, or did you read this somewhere? The the theory about the scientists and mathematicians, like why they only usually have like one great discovery, was something I read. I'm just sort of um, uh, uh, applying that to startups. To it's business. Like, it's like you know, the people who've done something great or important might have a hard time going and creating another thing that's great and important because they can't they can't go and focus on some small curious little problem because it just seems ridiculous in comparison i think that is really a really good a really good way of thinking about it i mean it makes sense it makes a lot of sense to me 
because that's if because I think TweetMiner, like right now, it's still very early on, right? But we're already seeing that it has potential. We're seeing that it has growth. But it started as something incredibly modest and simple and almost personal that you just worked on. Yeah. Right? You, you were like – because the whole thing, you even brought it up to me the first time you were talking about it. You weren't, you weren't like, well, I'm going to write a business plan. I'm going to raise money, and it's going to be this big <laughs> thing. You were like – you were almost like embarrassed. by like, well, it's just going to be this little thing. Maybe I make a little bit of money. Uh, you know, you, you just you – were, you weren't – you just – it was just really tiny, modest thing. I'm really glad that that's all captured on the show. I think it has. I mean, yeah. I, at least that's the way I remember it. Yeah. At least that's, no, it's I've literally. Seen. I mean, the literally the the direction of the product has practically been created, like as we've as we've discussed as we've been talking. Amazing. Yeah. Well, so I think this is probably good. I mean, it's 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 good. It's good. It's you're 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 uh, serving as a good example to me and and what I'm working on, which is get something out there early and simple, care about it, do a great job. Don't don't think too far down the road. Just try and get something up and out there, and I like all those kinds of things. When's when's it going to be out? Come on, to give us an. Well, update. We're shooting. We're shooting for uh, the end of the year before the June first. That's we're shooting to go to private beta, and then hopefully we can iterate through that within you know a month. How long did you do private beta for? Uh, I think it was about three hours. Okay, well, how long did you do a non-paid beta? <laughs> oh right, um, month. The, the, yeah, yeah, month. Um, until you kept yeah. on hassling me to turn it paid. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, so that's, I'm kind of thinking, you know, there might be a couple weeks of, or maybe a month at most of like a private beta. And then we do like, a, um, I don't know, we open up a little bit bigger to some kind of other, a, a, a bigger private beta. And then we start charging. I, I want to do it right away, but I want to, um, I want to get out there right away. For instance, it's interesting is a couple we were working on a few things this week, and you know, Guyon is he's done consulting, but he hasn't really run a business, you know, how to create release a product or anything. Yeah. And he and I are both primarily coders as opposed to, you know, businessmen. Okay. So when we're working on something, we want to make things perfect. We think about, we try and think of all, all the edge cases and generalize everything. Mm. But that's not necessarily what you need to be doing when you're trying to release a product. You need to no. you need to just do the simplest thing you can to get it out the door, which means that you don't think through all the problems. You don't try and smooth out all the corners and and you just like, screw it, you know. And and I had I got I, we had a discussion in the middle of the week when I had to convince him because he Guyon was thinking of some complex some complex relationships and some, some objects. And I was like, I own, dude. Listen, <laughs> I'll tell you two. something. What you punt. showed well, me. Let's, let's say the thing. I just said, we got to learn to punt. Punt. We're punting on this. I said, we still haven't done these other five things that are way more important. As a punt on this, we can come back to it in a month or two. Well, the Not funny big... thing is, what you showed me of your product two months ago, as far as I was concerned, that was nearly ready to go out the door. So I don't know what the hell you're building. Because it was already fantastic, you could already make money from what that was. So my my fear is is you're doing another prezo, and you're just what's well, that? Yeah, you're just taking yeah, it too far. I mean, I, I I don't think you could. I think you should just release that thing within the next couple of weeks. Well, you know, we we here's here's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> so my my wife said the same thing to me, Sandy. We were we were we were we were sitting down after dinner and we're talking, and I was talking about how I was sort of really excited about it, and she's she wasn't really responded much to. And I said, well, I said, and I said, well, why? I said, do you not? Are you don't think it's a good idea? Or what do you think? She's like, well, I just don't think you're going to release it for like 18 months. I think you do a preso all over again. Yeah. And I was like, all right, all right. I you know we're going to release it by the end of the year. And she's like, yeah, okay, whatever. We'll see, right? 
So that's why I'm like, Guyon, dude. I think, I mean, why can't app. you just release it within the, within the next month? Just start just start building the the user journeys and get it out there. Get well, like that basic. is the end of the year, right? A month is like six weeks because you know, then you have Christmas and in and Thanksgiving, so it's really about four or five weeks of work. Oh, okay. So yeah, Fair I enough. mean that's what we're doing. But the the yeah, sorry, yeah. the only reason that what you saw was sort of it was sort of a per- peripheral to the core product. Okay. And I wanted to make sure that releasing the real center of the product and not something that's out on an edge because then you can never really get back to the center what you really want to be building. Yeah, okay, that's true. So I said, all right, let's, and that was my fault that we kind of went to sort of a, a, a side issue earlier and we should have just started where we ended up moving to a little later. Let's get the core. You know, if you almost think of it like a, uh, the way I think of it is like a rectangle, okay, where the, where the width of the rectangle is the breadth of the product and the height is like the depth, like how deep are you going to go or how how far are you going to take certain feature sets? And I want to be that little square right in the middle at the bottom where it's like we've got 5% depth and 5% width to start and then grow out from there. I don't want to be off to some side where it's like you're really fighting back to get towards the center of it. And you're that is a good way to put it. And you know something? You, If you don't release that by Christmas, I'm going to be really angry with you. That's, that's fair enough. Like You've got to do I'm it because to... I'm sick of just me talking about Tweetminer <laughs> on the shows. We need to be talking about your product. And you, and it's ready. It's ready. I mean, it's just you know you just got to round off a few edges. Yeah, no, it's it's true. Um, it, well, it's not ready, but it's it's getting close. But it's true that we need to release it ASAP and then just and just iterate from there. And 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 I'll suffer from all the same things that you did, which is like you know I'm afraid no one's going to care about this. It's going to get criticized, and then I'm afraid no one's going to pay for it. But it's just like screw it. Let's just get it out there. And if no one pays for it for three months or six months because it's not ready, that's fine. We'll just have we'll just keep iterating on it until. It well, at the very out. least, you're going to get some tech guys um and girls who listen to this show going and having a look at it and you know they're the worst critics they're going to really slate it <laughs> yeah this man, like, this well you man. never know they may be nice i hope yeah, they're nice yeah. be nice yeah so um yeah so that's that's the status uh we're just but it's, it's just learning to punt you see you have to you have to i think if you're going to release early what you want to do you have to learn to punt what do you mean feature. punt what does that mean punt, punt in, in in football american football where you know, you have four downs to move the ball at least 10 yards down the field. And if you don't, if you get down to your fourth down and you're still like two or three yards short, you have two options. You can try and run or throw the ball and advance it down the field. But if you fail, the other team gets the ball at that point. And if you're too close to your own end zone where they can score, you're, you're, you're in danger zone. So we want to just punt on it. Just, you know, kick it down the field and then they can start from their end. And... I don't know if it's the best analogy, but I use a term which is I don't just, think so because Guyon's from what, what country is Guyon from? Well he's, well, he's from New Zealand. Oh. He was in. Does he know England. what punt means? I think he does. I think he knows what okay. he. I think he's you know what Australian football or rugby has similar things in it. Maybe I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. I think he knows what I mean, which is it means. We... Hello. Hey. I don't think we've ever had a bad this bad connection. It's been pretty frustrating. It's like every ten minutes it's dropped. Um, I I wanted to uh, I had some other topics that you know it's just it worked too close to the end. Uh, let me just ask you a question about Tweetminer though. You you remember how you were talking about how a few episodes back you talked about how you, a number of your users were asking the, for the ability to look at like multiple streams at the same time. Yeah. In separate separate um, I don't know what you call them columns or something. Yeah. Did and you were 
you're, I think you had resolved at that point to create a mock-up and have people vote on it. Did you end up doing anything with that? Yeah, I did. I did that. They voted on it. And, and the, thing, the thing is, it's, it's a large piece of work. And, you know, there's lots of smaller pieces of work that people are screaming about. So what I've been doing is I, I, I've tried to get into that. But it's, as I said, it's the kind of thing where I need a proper full weekend, you know, maybe two, eight, two, ten hour days to just yeah. power through it. Um, so what I've been doing is I've been doing lots of very small or, you know, not small, but medium, medium to small size updates. And I have started that, but I haven't finished it. Has that been helpful to at least knock out those small, medium sized things? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, very much so. Yeah, it's it's really good to just keep on pushing stuff out. It, it definitely helps. Yeah, in fact, it's not, a, it's probably, and I think about it, you know, the big things are great, but you want to keep the momentum going. It's probably better if people see consistent you can see consistent progress being made. You know, they see things getting better every day or two. And not only that, you feel momentum going forward that you don't get bogged down on one, on one big feature improvement. I'm not sure that multiple columns is something that paying customers really, 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 really want versus more of the kind of schedule automation related stuff. That's the only other thing. Like it's a, it's sort of, it's a juggling game between what people say they want and what people really want, you know? So for mm -hmm. example, one, one of the, the upgrades that I did this week was the ability for people to, because before we have this rolling schedule, so you just sort of say, uh, you assign it to like 60 minutes between tweets and then you just bump tweets onto the queue. So as you're browsing your RSS, you say, I want that story, I want that story, I want that story. And it just bumps them out every 60 minutes. But people kept on saying, oh, I wish there was a way that I could you know, on Saturdays, do it differently to Mondays. So what I did was implement this system where they could choose a time window on a daily basis. So on a Monday, it'll bump that rolling schedule out between, you know, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. And then on a Sunday, it will that's do cool. it differently. So basically, they have complete control of this this rolling schedule. To me, that sounds like more of a feature that that is, you know, that's more important for page users than something like the multiple column thing. Do now when you when you made these improvements, what kind of feedback do you get based on that? Do you get do you hear you hear back from people like they like it or they're really happy about it? Oh or yeah, you... yeah. You basically they say thanks. You know, they just say thanks. That's awesome, and they retweet it and they just sort of say, you know, tweet mine is doing just what I wanted to do. Well, see, that's actually maybe another reason to to have smaller updates because every time you do an update, because some updates might take you a half hour and some might take you three days. Yeah. And it may not be always very clear to the users, <laughs> you know, how long those things took. It's just it, the there's an improvement that they they wanted, and they may it, it it may not have been that the one that took a long time was something they cared more about. But the fact that you keep keep having these improvements and making it better gives them reason to retweet it and, and spread the word about tweet miner. That is true. That so, is true. So if you just had one update a month, then you might get some retweets once a month. But if you have an up, uh, a cool update every, you know, one, two or three days, you're probably uh, causing a lot of people to, re to retweet about it or tweet about it. I think one of the secrets is to try and find updates. Like if people really want a big update, try and break it down into its components and see if any of those components result in an update that to another another area of the site for example one of the things that the multiple column things need is it needs um tabs and the tabs need to be reorderable and so that you can create a new tab so what i did was i built a library that it, just a, a an ajax reordering library 
And then that yeah. enabled me to make the main interface so that you could reorder all of the streams and all of the accounts on the main interface. And people right. love that little update, you know, it's something they've yeah. been asking for. Yeah, well, I think that's probably going to break it down to smaller steps and you keep moving it forward. Yeah. Absolutely. I, well, that's such a big deal with that's the small iterations, the tight iterations. It's such a big deal. I mean, it's all the, that's the whole thing about agile development. I think you're, you're doing all the right things. Oh, um, thank you. Okay. Oh, that's, okay. That's, you're going to make me blush now. Yeah. Well, you know, you just, I mean, you know, <laughs> we've talked about this stuff. We've, we've, we've all personally learned these lessons on our own so many times that you're actually applying them. You're fine. Right. You know, just like we talked about a couple episodes ago, which is that why are you able to succeed with this? Whereas so many times in the past you felt like you failed. And the thing is that you, you think you're, you're probably applying a lot of the lessons that, that you learned in the previous failures or, you know, which is that you got to release something early. You got to start charging for it. You need to keep updating all those things, which you probably didn't do or do the right way in the past. Yeah. I mean, I wish I knew what I, what I know now I'd go back over everything else that I've done in the past <laughs> and just do it differently. And so here's another thing I want to uh, go ask about you, you, the last episode in our last episode, you asked about, you, you were talking about how, um, Rackspace, you thought they were throttling your Bitly API request or something along those lines. And so your solution was going to be, um, or vice versa. So the solution was be to put proxies, proxy scripts, or scripts on other different on different servers. That was your solution. Okay, so that's my solution. But you were going to implement it, and you started implementing. You found some server because you you, you are the puppet master. You realize that? Like I, everything I do is just because you say. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 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 anyway, yes, I implemented the proxies. Yeah, I did. Now, how many different servers did you put them on? I put it on about six servers. But, uh, and these are just servers from friends, uh, friends of yours? Yeah, servers from friends. But a, a couple, of, maybe two or three people, their servers didn't work because, you know, for example, on your server, it, it couldn't call outside the server. It couldn't use the file get contents function. Um, some other servers, it didn't work because of .ht access issues. And there, yeah. there was also an encoding issue, um, which meant it didn't work for the first day. Right, but now it's, it works well enough on the six servers you have it on? It does seem to work well enough. There's, there, there's one user saying that it's not actually adding the links to his own Bitly account, it's just doing it to a general Bitly account. But I think that's a Bitly issue. Can't see how it could be anything to do with the proxy. So, um, well, we should, probably, uh, we should probably cut the show at this point. It's, it's probably well over an hour. And it's going to be painful to uh, edit. Yeah, you got a lot of editing to do. <laughs> All right, that's a wrap. We're out. <laughs> <laughs>